So sheep, how many of you guys are familiar with sheep? Okay. Real familiar with sheep. The dirty, stinky, stupid side of sheep. <laughs> Not the all oh, Louise size, little cute figurines and pictures of cute little sheep and lammies. Um, some of you have held sheep before, little lammies, huh? Um, well, Jesus is going to use sheep today in John 10 as an example to communicate many good truths. Shepherding in his day was pretty popular, pretty common. Um, they were very familiar with sheep. They knew that sheep were not bright, that sheep were very fragile. Um, they realized that sheep, put that up back on my ear, sheep, um, I guess saying they're not bright is pretty much common. They're rude if you've ever seen them at the trough, 200 pounds of just pushing everybody out of the way. Um, so when he's using this as an example to the people, he's hoping to communicate what needs to happen. Shepherding was also good training for leading people. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David. What did they all do? Shepherds. They all shepherded sheep. And in, because it was such a common uh, business, vocation, trait, whatever, they had, um, the sheep would go out into the mountains, into the hillside, into all the pasture area during the day. And at the end of the day, the shepherd would call, they would call their sheep and they would go all into this little village. And there was one fold where all the different flocks would go into. If they were way far out, too far to get back, then they would have to manage and get their own little flock in a folded area, and that shepherd would lay by the gate and keep it. But if they were close enough to town, to the village, they would just, you know, herd them all back, um, lead them all back into the communal big fold with all the other sheep, and then they would go and do whatever they do at night, shepherds. Um, and in the morning, they would come back out when they were ready to take their little sheep out. And they would, and this is going to make a lot of sense when we get into this here, they would go and the gatekeeper that was there watching the sheep in the big communal fold, he knew which shepherds brought their sheep in, probably about how many. And so he was there to make sure that those shepherds were also almost like signing out your kids from the nursery down there and be able to take them. And being all over through the night, all the sheep were intermingling and all that. I mean, sure, it was a smelly, messy place to be. Um, the shepherd would just go and he would just start talking and the sheep would, oh, oh, that's my shepherd. And he would call them and they would go to where they're hearing the voice and they would go and they would follow and just kind of filter those shepherds' sheep would meander and manipulate their way out of the gate to follow that shepherd and then he would take them. Um, so with that in mind, understanding that, um, we're going to go into this chapter 10. Also, I know it's been like, what, six weeks, I think, since we were in nine but remember the end of 9. Remember what was going on in chapter 9 with the blind man 
and Jesus heals the blind man. And the Pharisees and the leaders were not believing it, or they were refusing to acknowledge it. And they were accusing the man of lying, they got the parents there and everything, and they, these religious leaders were actually very, very cruel to this man and his family. They weren't kind at all, accusing them of lying and everything, and his parents were afraid, so afraid that they just kind of backed away from what was very obvious to them what happened. And the, the blind man, when he could see again, and he acknowledges Jesus was the one that cured him, what do they do to him? They cast him out. So they weren't good religious leaders. So we're coming on to chapter 10 on the heels of that happening within the same time frame there of them demonstrating just how cruel and how unloving and caring they were as leaders of, that, of those people. So here is Jesus an opportunity to teach between good shepherding and if there's good shepherding, that's just an obvious, there's bad shepherding, right? Otherwise, all shepherding would be the same, but if Jesus is going to say he's the good shepherd, then there's obviously got to be bad. So he starts with one of those truly, trulys, and what do we know about truly, truly? Pay attention. Pay attention. I'm saying to you, hey, I want your all eyes on me. You know, kind of look me in the, come on, don't be doodling, put that down and pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So right there, we have one identifying thing that tells us what a good shepherd is versus what a bad person is that's going to harm the sheep there's a door a, a, a gateway a, a door a way to get in to the sheep the way that the sheep have access to the shepherd and that door has a purpose the door is the proper way the door is the prepared way to enter the fold they weren't supposed to climb in over the wall because sheep don't climb so whoever was sneaking in and climbing over the wall to the sheepfold was only a bad person with bad motives coming in there to harm the sheep or to steal the sheep or to cause some kind of mischief. Properly, openly, um, the right way to enter is through the door. So Jesus is letting them pretty much know that good shepherds are ones who use the door. They don't hide. They don't sneak around. They are um, loving and caring, and, and there's a, it's, it's a sacrificial service to, um, to be a shepherd and care for sheep. I mean, they, um, these shepherds, you know, it was an all-day thing um, to spend the time, the care, um, the patience with these sheep. Someone who crawls into a sheepfold or someone who crawls into a leadership position to lead God's people for their own gain, political connections, manipulations, corruptions. There's a lot of people that are called to lead in the church and elsewhere that do it for just their own, um, their own self-gratification, their own motive, and not for a service, a, a leading service mindset to, to come up, gird under, and help. So, 
In verse 3 it says, Jesus continues, To him, to to the shepherd who comes in through the door, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand it, what he was trying to say to them. So the gatekeeper is regulator with the sheep, with the shepherd. Who's coming in? Who's bringing out? And he calls them by name. I have some names on mine. I have Freckleface, and for a while we had Shirley, Goodness, and Mercy. And then it kind of gets into offsprings and stuff. And, and then you really can't... Under, but if you really get to know your sheep, they, have diff, they look different. They're just they're different structures on their, on their faces. And, and some are more friendly than others. And so he calls them by name. This is such a metaphor for Jesus and us the, in his flock. Because we, he calls us by name. Our names are written in the book of life. Philippians 4.3 says that our names are written in the book of life. And Revelations 3.5, our names are written in the book of life. He knows us by name. He leads them out. You don't drive sheep. If you try to drive sheep, they're just going to be out of there. But, but, but you, they, you lead them and they follow. And the shepherd leads because he's in the front. And if he's going to take them up over here into the hill country over here, he's going to be making sure that there's nothing up there. And making sure, okay, you guys, we're going to keep going this way and everything. And, and what's behind there and what's going on? And they follow him to, to drive them. They don't know what's out there in the open. They don't know what's any danger, what's out there. Sheep just wildly going to go crazy. So it's a leading. He alerts them to danger. It's a safe path. He's already scouted it out probably the day before, the night before that morning to see where he wanted to go. They follow him. And true believers will not fall away. They will not wander off when they're following the shepherd. Now, some of them do kind of in the you know kind of get meander off if they're sitting still, and you know we have the story of the one that got lost and everything. But for generally speaking, they're going to follow after. And if they stop to munch a little bit, okay, oh they're still moving. Okay, I'll catch up. Kind of, my shepherd's up there. If we can really understand what this means, ladies, to us, he's been there. He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what this afternoon holds. He knows next week. He knows what's going to happen. He's already scouted it out. We can trust him. Not a trap. He's the good shepherd. Cares for us. He's been there. He loves us. True believers will not fall away. Matthew 24, 24. False Christ, Jesus is saying, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. This is the end times here. So as to lead astray the elect, if possible, even the elect. If possible, it is not possible. It is not possible for us to be led astray by the false 
ones that are out there to trap us and to pull us into another fold. He's got us in the palm of his hand, and nothing's going to snatch us out. 1 John 2, 18 and 19. Children, is the last hour, and as you, you have heard, the Antichrist, and it is the last hour, ladies and gentlemen, it's the last hour. The Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. They won't hang out. Unbelievers won't hang out with believers, especially when the going gets tough, because they can't tolerate it. They don't. They're just they're going to drift away. They're not going to follow after Jesus the shepherd. They're not going to go with the truth. They're going to fall away. And we live in times where a lot of churches are closing their doors and not. Are they going to open up again? I don't know. Maybe some of them do need to be shut down. I don't know. But 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 God's people will obey him and congregate and be together. And nothing's going to lead us astray. Nothing's going to allow us to go. So he's trying he's, he's not trying. He's talking to the people about good shepherding and bad shepherding and everything. But they don't understand it. Why don't they understand? Because they're spiritually blind. We already know that from chapter 9. They're spiritually blind. So Jesus changes the metaphor a little bit there, and he identifies himself now as the door. So we have him as, you know, he's not even the shepherd. He's he's talking about um, being the door. He hasn't even said the good shepherd, but he's the door. So he says in verse 7, Another truly, truly, you guys, okay, hang in there. Truly, truly, I say to you. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. I am the door. He says it twice. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. He gets into that. So before he's that, he's got, he's the door. He's the shepherd who allows the sheep into the flock. If he's got a flock, he's going to go and he's going to buy sheep to put into his flock or whatever. He's going to sell some sheep. He's going to do whatever he needs to do. And he's going to have his own flock that he is in charge of and he cares about. And he's the doorkeeper. He's the one who acknowledges these sheep are mine and these sheep are not mine. In John 14, 6, he says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God. No one is renewed fellowship with God into the flock, becomes part of the church, unless they go through Jesus, who is the door. It is through him that lost sinners are saved and approach the Father. And it says in there we can go in and out and find pasture. We can live life. We can go out and we can live our lives and we can do the things we need to do, glorifying him and worshiping him and thankful for him and, and do the jobs that he has us to do and relate to our families that, we ha- that he's put around us, the people around us, and we can have joy, doing it joyfully. But the false shepherds, the bad guys, they are thieving and, and, and bad people. And Jesus has already identified them as of their father, the devil. In 844, remember when we were back there? You are of your father the devil, 
and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We have so many lies going on today. This lesson can't be more apropos than truth and lies that happen out there, good and bad. So bad shepherds, bad people that try to lead us are going to be liars. Good people, good shepherds, good pastors are going to be ones who are telling us the truth. He goes on then, after he's acknowledged that he is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the abundant life. He is the door of that. He now makes the statement that he is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now, I want to emphasize the word the. He is the good shepherd. Not one of many good shepherds. He is the good shepherd. He's the one who's perfect. He's the authentic one. He's in a class all by himself. So what are the characteristics of this good shepherd, the good shepherd? There's three of them here. The first one is that he dies for his sheep. In verse 11, he lays down, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's the, who's the hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. They just, oh, the wolf's there, he's got one, got one of us, you know, let's get out of here. And he flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing about the sheep. He's just in there for his own hide. I don't want to deal with this. But the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, it's not just a, um, I'm going to risk my life for this sheep. I'm going to stand there and hear that here it comes, and I'm going to do whatever I need to fight off the, the wolves and the, the things that are coming in to, to attack these sheep or the thieves that come and, come and steal them away. It's not a risk in a life. A good shepherd would do that, but the good shepherd voluntarily lays down his life. He gives his life up, and it's an atonement of it. So where a good shepherd would risk his life hoping that he doesn't die, the good shepherd voluntarily lays down his life for his sheep. So he'll die for his sheep. The second quality of the good shepherd is in 14, and he says it a second time. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, at this point, these spiritual leaders, once he starts talking about God the Father, they just start to really boil, don't they? Because he starts, he's identifying with God again. And they can't handle this. They're already pretty mad at him for healing the blind man and doing all that. And, and they just don't know what to do with him. But here he goes again, talking about him and the Father and this relationship with God the Father. I don't even think they're listening to what he's saying at this point. But he uses that word, no. He knows, I know them. There's an intimate relationship with that word, no. The word is used as an intimate love relationship between a man and a woman. Adam knew Eve. It's a togetherness. It's a very intimate. Um, we know that on Matthew seven twenty, Matthew seven twenty three, 
We know that on the day of judgment, there's going to be many people who say, hey, Lord, Lord, you know, we did all this stuff for you in your name and everything. And what's Jesus going to say to them if they're unbelievers? Away with me, I never knew you. Never knew them. So it's a, a closeness. The good shepherd loves his sheep. I know them. I call them by name. It's, it's, a, it's a very intimate, loving relationship. It's a oneness there. So he dies for his sheep. He loves. The good shepherd loves his sheep. And the third quality here is in verse 16. Jesus continues, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock one shepherd. Folds and flocks. The good shepherd unifies his sheep. Jesus unifies believers. People who aren't true sheep or you don't have a true shepherd, they're not going to work at unifying. We have been able to come into this Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church because these people are in the same flock as us. This is their fold, and they have allowed us to come into this fold here to gather. And then in a little few minutes or half an hour or whatever, we're going to leave this fold, and we're going to be able to go in and out and have pasture, and then we're going to come back to this fold here. So this is a fold. There's other flocks. There's a Spanish-speaking church that meets here in this fold. That's another flock. The congregation of this church is a flock. So, so you get the idea of folds and flocks, but Jesus is the only one who unifies, right? And so if you got the denomination, if you got the church that has Jesus as their shepherd, there's going to be unity with that, and that together is the church. Now, this was a really wild concept for them because the Jews and Gentiles, they didn't unite. There was just no unity with that. But Jesus is the one who does that. As a side note to this verse, um, the, er, there's an early Christian Bible translator named Jerome that when he was translating this, into an influential Latin version, and I don't know what era it was, he mistakenly translated one fold instead of one flock in this verse. And because of that error in that early Latin translation, the Roman Catholic Church got its idea for exclusiveness. Okay? So there can be many believers in many different gatherings of people. Okay. Characteristics of the good shepherd. Not only unifying the sheep and the flock, but there's a unity with him and the Father. Other shepherds don't quite have that unity as as Jesus has with God the Father. In 17 we see that for this reason the Father loves me. And here's the reason. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There's that relationship that the Good Shepherd has with God the Father. Um, it's a love and obedience relationship. There's a compliance to the Father. Love and obedience go together. It's, obedience strengthens the bond of love. 
Man, can we not see that in kids and in animals? When my dog, when I call it and it doesn't come, the bond's kind of stressed at that point, right? But when I call that dog and it's like, oh, that bond of love is there. Not that God's not going to like us if we don't come, but this verse is telling us that when we are obedient, our love bond with God strengthens more so on our end because we're the recipient of more of his blessings that way, but they go hand in hand. And Jesus even said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Try that all with my grandkids a lot, and they don't quite get that concept, but... (laughs) There's a harmony, there's a togetherness with the good shepherd and God the Father. Now, he says he laid down his life voluntarily, okay? And he even tells Pilate that in John 19, which we'll get to. He tells him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You know, Pilate thought he was going to send him to his, you know, his destiny there, but it wasn't so. He has voluntarily taken his life. And again, he will raise up his life and he will raise the church. He has power over life and death. This death of Jesus is not to be considered like an indirect suicide. Don't even go there with it, all right? It's nothing like that. It was a plan to submit to death, power over death. It wasn't a life is so miserable, I'm going to, you know, whatever, and all of different reasons people commit suicide. Jesus allowed death to overcome him. And he overcame death then, and he emerged from it victoriously. So we see in verse 19, you know, that again, his teachings are creating a huge divide And whenever he opens his mouth, man, we have just division happening. We have people who understand it, and then we have people who are just not getting it. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and he's insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of of the blind? Divide between truth and lies deepens. We're seeing that in the culture today. The divide between truth and false is deepening. The difference between those who believe truth and those who who reject truth is widening. Good shepherd, bad shepherd, truth, lies, good, evil, strong divisions out there When we live in a world where it's kind of like blurry and not real clear on different things, we kind of go along, oh, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference here. But when it really starts to be manifested, where the truths become more pronounced and and there they are, and the lies, which probably have been in the dark for a long time, start to surface and and start to show in their ugly heads, there's a divide. People can't stand in the middle. They've got to make a choice. What's going on here? He came to what? To cause division, didn't he? Isaiah 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. So let's continue and look at this final point here. 
what these people were like, what happens when they start to really continue to reject the truth, reject the truth, reject. We already know they're getting boiling angry, but we're going to see the divide any, all the more, the people who are rejecting the claims of Christ. Verse 22 starts out with, at that time. Now, between 21 and 22, there's a couple months that's happened, that's gone by, because we now find that Jesus is um, in winter, it's about, so it's about two months later, and we're in the Feast of Dedication, known as the Feast of Likes, or Hanukkah. And Hanukkah um, originated, it's not written in the Old Testament. Hanukkah, uh, the, the origins of Hanukkah, come between the intertestimonial period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between those 400 years of silence there where there weren't a lot of writings. And it originated with um, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a very evil Syrian king, 175 to 164 BC. And he started making all these edicts about, he was a tyrant, saying, okay, you Jews cannot worship in the temple, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. Man, do we hear that today? You can't go to church, you can't do this, you can't do that. So he was a king of Syria that was very evil. So the Maccabee boys, the Maccabee boys family, were led a group of Jews in revolt against this king, and they won, and they took Jerusalem back over. And so because they won back the right to worship in Jerusalem and everything, they have the Feast of Lights, and they celebrate that, and they, that's what they celebrate with Hanukkah. So Jesus is on at the temple in the colonnade of Solomon, uh, a place of meditation. It was a place that was roofed a little bit. It was wintertime, but it was kind of out of the elements with all these colonnades, and you could walk out there. A place where a lot of people would come and meditate, and some rabbis would hold some of their school teachings out there and stuff. And he was out there. And the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay, so we know, because we're at chapter 10 by now, that Jesus has been telling them pretty plainly all along who he is, right? Do you think they really want an honest answer? No. They don't want that. They want to trap him. They want him to say something plainly, which means they want him to say something publicly, openly, that they can accuse him of so they can arrest him. And Jesus says to them, I told you, I told you, and you don't believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me. You are not of my flock. What did he tell them? Well, in verse chapter 3, he told them that he's the one who came from heaven. He said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. In chapter 5, he's already told them, I'm the unique son of God. I will judge all humanity. All should honor me just as the honor of the God and the Father. The scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures speak of me. He's also told him in verse 7 that the perfectly revealed God, he perfectly reveals God the Father. And in chapter 8, he tells him, I always please God and never sin. I am uniquely sent from God. Before Abraham was, I am. In chapter 9, he said, I am the son of man, prophesied by Daniel. In chapter 10, he's already told him, I raised myself from the dead. He's already said he's the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. He's told them, he's told them, he's told them who he is. But they were looking for something just, I don't know, more specific. But he's been telling them who he is, plainly who he is. 
They're not getting what they want from him. It says that all of his works have reflected who he is as the son of God. The problem was their spiritual blindness. The problem was they couldn't see. They didn't understand. They didn't comprehend. It was like he was speaking a foreign language to them. You know, this book is written to believers. And if somebody's an unbeliever, they're going to have a really hard time comprehending this. They're going to be a cynic and a critic of it. Why did he tell all those people? Why did he tell the people to kill all those little babies and everything? If you don't have the spirit of God to be able to understand what this book says, it can be very offensive. And it's not going to make sense. So these Pharisees, these religious leaders were just not getting it. And they weren't his sheep. Seven characteristics of his sheep is that he cares for them because he knows them. It says in verse 27, they hear my voice. I know them. I love them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And by the way, following Jesus is really being obedient to this. This is following Jesus. My father who has who has given them to me is greater than, than the, everyone, all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's a security with the flock. There's eternal life, which is a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. We're not going to be able to lose it. Okay? That makes sense, right? And nothing too powerful will snatch us away. We are infinitely secure. We are hidden with Christ in God Romans 8, 38, what a great verse that is. For I am sure, I am absolutely positive that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a beautiful passage that is. In John 6, 39 also tells us and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day great promises there well these guys were not getting what they wanted they were not getting anything that they could come and they could arrest him and they were fuming so what do they do they're angry in verse 31 they picked up stones again to throw at him so much was their rage, blinding rage, that they run around and get their stones and come back. This is the fourth time in John's gospel where they are tempted to kill him. Jesus answered them. He's just standing there, man. Did he run and hide? No. What does he do? He, he stops them with his words. He says, I have shown you many good works from the Father for which I... Which one of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews said, it's not for the good works, but what we're going to stone you for what you're saying. It's blasphemy, being a man and making yourself God. They were completely ignoring all the works that were just sound evidence, obvious evidence of who he was. Tangible, inescapable proof of the oneness of God. But they weren't looking at that. Look at your words. You're saying you're this. You see how when people get into falsehoods and believing lies, how they just get illogical? You just can't even, you almost have to step away and say, don't argue with a fool here. 
They were very, very mad, and they were surrounded him by this angry, rock-welding group of men. But he stopped them with the power of his words. He's just talking to them. And he dresses their overreaction to the use of the word God. Now, I'm going to read that that thing about uh, for time's sake. But here it is. He's basically saying, you guys are splitting hairs over me saying the word God or saying God. So he's going to reason with them from the least to the greatest. And he says to them, in scripture, it says, if God gave, well, if God gave these unjust judges the title gods because of their office, why do you consider it blasphemy that I call myself the son of God in light of the testimony of me and my work? Scripture has already identified unjust gods, mere men who were very bad judges as gods. So why are you so hung up on this word God? And again, you see when people are illogical and believe lies, they just get foolish. We see this in today's world. It just doesn't make sense. And you know what, you guys? Don't try to make sense of it. Just walk away and say, okay, I'll pray for you. They could not follow the evidence to its logical confusion. And we are going to find out in a couple of weeks that it reaches its, its culmination when they finally cry, crucify him. They couldn't handle it anymore. But it says in verse 39, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped. And why do we know that? Because it wasn't his time, right? He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. He went back to where people remembered him. They remembered John the Baptist. It was a place where people would flock to John the Baptist and and get baptized and repent um, as a preparation to, to Christ coming. And so it was a welcoming, warm place for him to be. And the result of him being there, many believed and many entered that fold. There were so many parallels and almost metaphors or truths to what's going on in the world today. We have nothing to be afraid of. I don't know who's going to be present. Well, I have an idea, but we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't. But we know who is already been through tomorrow because he's outside of time and he's sovereign. And it doesn't matter if the world's going to end tomorrow, if something's going to happen, if we're going to be all if if this is the only day we'll be able to meet in this beautiful church because everything will be locked down. I don't know. But for now, for today, we're thankful, we're joyful, we've met together in our fold, and we're going to go out, and we'll be able to come back in. And we know that because we have the good shepherd, and we're in the palm of his hand, and nothing can harm us. Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for your love, for your care, for for being God, for being the conqueror, for your protection. May we be found pleasing and worthy of you. And use all the things that you've given us, being good stewards of it, and with the things we've learned today, as we study this rich, rich chapter 10 of John. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.